You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some breaking news and a warning for women tonight. RCMP have linked four recent sex assaults. Aaron MacArthur is live tonight from Glen Park where these assaults happened. And Aaron, yes, police say there is evidence that these attacks are connected. Yeah, that's right, Chris. There are four attacks, as you say, two in December on the 16th and 19th, and then two more in January just last week. Police say they are connected, and in all four cases, the women are reporting the same M.O. A suspect would approach them, either touch them or slap them, and then run away. And all of this happening so quickly, the women haven't been able to get a good description of the man. He's being described in very general terms as being slight in stature, short, and wearing some sort of a dark coat. All of these assaults happening about 5 to 7 at night, and police are hoping that somebody who lives in the Glen Park neighborhood will be able to help them out with a better description. In the meantime, police are warning women tonight to walk in pairs if possible and, if, and keep a, a vigilant eye out for, for their surroundings. We'll keep an eye on this and, and have more later, Chris. All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Aaron MacArthur, reporting for us tonight in Coquitlam. Now to growing frustration in Surrey, where ride-hailing is getting a red light from the city. On Friday, Surrey sent Uber a warning letter to cease operations or face fines. A promise bylaw officers followed through on writing warning tickets over the weekend. Tonight, Grace Key has more on the division among councillors over this and how Mayor Doug McCallum is defending his position. The ride-hailing battle in Surrey is heating up. Over the weekend, bylaw officers issued 18 warnings to Uber drivers for failing to have a business license. Mayor Doug McCallum defended the crackdown. If a predator comes in in an industry that's highly regulated and doesn't do a level playing field and ignores a lot of the laws of those cities, you would expect any mayor to stand up for their residents. Some city councillors have also been critical in the use of bylaw officers. Clearly this is not good use of our resources in Surrey. Bylaw officers should be focusing their intentions on what they're supposed to be doing and that is around public safety. So there are mechanisms with the framework of what we currently have, as opposed to just saying, look, here's a warning um, for not getting, uh, not getting a business license. Ride hailing was approved on Friday. Surrey immediately sent a cease letter. Uber declined. A statement reads, the premier has been clear that municipalities do not have the authority to prevent ride sharing companies from operating. And we do not believe there is any legal basis for drivers to be fined. Adding Surrey has not created a business license for its operators. There is different categories that they comply for example, they can apply for the same license at taxis. The province released a statement saying the absence of a bylaw or business license in specific municipalities related to ride hailing is not grounds for refusal of the service. Vancouver has issued one. There's probably a couple others that have issued before they start. And so maybe um, the Transportation Authority Board was, has more authority, actually, than, than the government. I, I don't think they do. Warnings were handed out, but the mayor says the next time, ride-hailing drivers will be hit with $500 fines. Grace Key, Global News. All right, now we'll bring in Sarah McDonald, who's live outside Surrey City Hall for us tonight. Sarah, Surrey's not the only one trying to put the brakes on ride-hailing. What have you learned about this new lawsuit that's apparently been filed? 
Chris, that's right. You said it. The Vancouver Taxi Association is now also coming out firing against Uber and Lyft with a new court challenge. And they're taking a heavy-handed approach when it comes to making a point that is not likely to endear that city's conventional taxi industry to the public. The Vancouver Taxi Association says effective today, it will no longer be subsidizing wheelchair-accessible taxis or incentivizing drivers to pick up and transport riders who require extra help, saying the Passenger Transportation Board which approved the operating licenses of those ride-hailing giants Uber and Lyft last week, needs to level the playing field when it comes to rules and regulations. A new lawsuit has now been filed against the Passenger Transportation Board in B.C. Supreme Court. The Vancouver Taxi Association maintaining if the rules are not fair across the board, and that includes caps on fleet size, insurance, and mandates for accessible vehicles, conventional taxi drivers are put at a major disadvantage. It is unbearable to believe that the board would do something so devastating after having so many meetings, consultation, talking to everybody. You know, all we've ever asked for is fairness, and we've not been dealt fairness in this decision. Now, as we just heard, conventional taxi drivers across Metro Vancouver have found support, albeit controversial, from the mayor of Surrey. There will be a city council meeting going ahead tonight in just under an hour. And Chris, as always, when it comes to ride hailing, there are sure to be fireworks. No doubt. Look forward to that coverage later, too. Thanks very much, Sarah McDonald, for us in Surrey. As the so-called ICBC dumpster fire continues to burn, Global News has exclusively obtained a new report from the Insurance Bureau of Canada that indicates British Columbians do pay substantially more for car insurance in some cases than Albertans. But as Richard Zussman explains, the province says it's not that simple. For months, ICBC has been the midst of an overhaul, but according to the Insurance Bureau of Canada, it's not working. The big difference between BC and Alberta is who you're buying your insurance from. In Alberta, you have a choice. Here in BC, you have to purchase from ICBC's Monopoly, and you're paying a heck of a lot more for that. The Insurance Bureau, an advocacy group for private insurance companies, put together a report directly comparing rates between the two provinces. Here is an example. This family of three drives on big city roads and commutes to work. The rates are $142 more in Richmond compared to Edmonton. But David Eby says the report doesn't factor in properly recent changes in Alberta. These quotes were all obtained before uh, really significant double-digit increases by uh, the vast majority of insurance companies in Alberta. How about just the new driver? Olivia, with two years' experience, pays $828 more a year in Burnaby compared to Calgary. But not everyone is paying more. More in BC. Donovan, with his at-fault crash, would pay $285 more in Calgary compared to Surrey. EB insists privatization is not the solution here in BC. We know that when the private insurance industry did a report about how much they would charge for insurance here in BC, they said that every, literally every driver under the age of 35 would see a significant increase. ICBC lost more than a billion dollars last year. But one Sauter School of Business professor says that those losses won't be fixed just by going to a private system. Public insurance actually can serve British Columbia very well because it allows us to focus not only on insurance but also on road safety at the same time. The province says changes are coming in British Columbia, especially when it comes to how much lawyers get paid for settlements. The hope is that no matter who compares the numbers, British Columbians will pay less next time around. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver police are releasing new video tonight in connection with a serious assault in the West End. 
that left a man with life-altering injuries. They're hoping it will lead to fresh tips and an arrest. As Romina Dea reports, investigators are hoping to speak with three people in particular. It's been two months since Andrew Curra was randomly attacked. The 46-year-old's head injuries, so severe he still can't walk or talk. No one has been arrested, which is why Vancouver police are now releasing this critical evidence. Police pleading with the public to help identify three persons of interest, two men and a woman. Kura, a property manager, was by himself when he was assaulted near Thurlow and Davy, November 30th at 1240 in the morning. As he fell back, he hit his head on the sidewalk. Kura does not know the three people police are looking for. Police won't reveal who they believe actually committed the assault or what the motive might be. He did have a verbal argument with a group of people. We don't believe this was a, related to any type of hate crime. We believe this was more of a random attack where they did not know the individual in the area. He's fully out of the coma now. Um, he's looking around. It seems like he recognizes me and my sister. And um, he can nod yes and no, but it's not consistent yet. It's hard not knowing what happened and why it happened. Kura's sister says another surgery is scheduled to rebuild her brother's skull. It's too early to say what his future will look like. Romina Dea, Global News. It was a packed courtroom today as a judge found Tanessa Nykirk guilty of dangerous driving causing bodily harm to an 11-year-old Saanich girl. Layla Buey was struck while in a crosswalk and left with devastating injuries she likely will never recover from. Brad McLeod has more on today's decision, and the one thing Buey's mother said would have made a monumental difference. That's all I wanted to know, that she's truly sorry that she, she did this to our daughter. Tanessa Nykirk didn't say sorry today, but is now guilty of dangerous driving causing traumatic brain injury to young Layla Bowie two years ago. Judge Malin McKim said Nykirk, who was 21 when she hit Bowie, was distracted and tailgating leading up to the moment her black SUV struck the 11-year-old as she crossed an intersection. Key evidence in the case, this dash cam footage. Experts say she was traveling nearly 100 kilometers an hour, twice the posted speed limit. You can see witnesses running to the girl who was thrown over 24 meters but was stopped from sliding further when she was wedged under another car. Phone records also show Nykirk was texting repeatedly in the moments leading up to the collision. The closest thing to an apology on the morning of the accident. Just said, I'm so sorry. Your daughter just ran right in front of my car. But three witnesses say Layla looked both ways before crossing. No. Mm-hmm. The teacher right, and she is a smart girl, and it's not her fault. Layla's mom knows Tanessa didn't set out to hit her daughter. But if it was me, I would go to the parents and I would say, I'm truly sorry, you know, but she didn't. A sentencing date will be set February 4th. Layla's family is seeking damages in a separate civil case. In addition to naming Tanessa Nykirk and her mother, the suit alleges the District of Saanich is also responsible because the intersection is obstructed and dangerously designed. While both parties have responded, none of the allegations have been proven. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A 30-year-old Maple Ridge man has been arrested in connection with a bizarre incident caught on video over the weekend. The video shows the suspect jumping onto a moving car. 
and hanging on for blocks. It happened at the intersection of 210th Street and Dudney Trunk Road. Ridge Meadows RCMP say the female driver and the suspect knew one another. The man is known to police as well, and he has been arrested for assault and mischief. Sonia, first to now, one of two remaining B.C. Green Party MLAs announcing her intention to run for the leader of the party today. Keith Baldry joins us with more on her bid and what it means if she wins. Keith. Yeah, the big question facing whoever becomes leader of the Green Party, Chris, is will they continue to support what's called CASA, the Confidence and Supply Agreement the Greens have uh, reached an agreement with with the NDP, which basically keeps the NDP in power. That was the first question posed to Sonia first to know today at her announcement in Victoria. I put it to her. Here's her answer. So I not only am a signatory to CASA, I was part of the negotiating team for CASA. I'm very invested in it and committed to uh, continuing to provide stable government to uh, B.C. So there you have it. She'll continue to support the NDP. That's good news for John Horgan and the NDP caucus because she's probably considered the front runner to win this race, even though she's the only declared candidate so far. There likely will be a couple more, but given her profile and the fact she's an MLA, I think she's probably, again, considered the favorite to win this. But in any event, the vote will be at the end of June at a convention in Nanaimo. Chris? All right. We'll be there to cover it, too. And we know you will as well. Thanks very much, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. It is one of the most popular routes into Vancouver's downtown core, but after years of problems living next to Prior Street, residents have had enough. Their successful campaign to install traffic calming measures and what that means for drivers in just over a minute. Right now, the long-awaited changes on a busy Vancouver thoroughfare are finally kicking in today. Traffic capacity has been cut in half on Prior Street, and a new lower speed limit is also in effect. Ted Chernecki has more on what it means for both drivers and residents who live in the area. When it's not backed up, Prior Street has been known to be a bit of a speedway. The records we've got show anything up to 90 kilometers an hour. And a dangerous one at that. There's often nothing separating a pedestrian and oncoming traffic. I live here, I cross the street every day. I lost a good friend to uh, traffic here as a pedestrian. He was hit by a car. So as of today, the speed limit drops from 50 to 30 kilometers per hour along Strathcona Park. And street parking is allowed 24-7, effectively changing prior from an arterial to a collector street with just one lane of traffic each way. In the 1970s, there was a a plan to put a massive freeway through East Vancouver and through downtown Vancouver. That never materialized, but we did end up with the viaducts. And so those viaducts are now dropping an inordinate amount of traffic onto a road that was never designed to handle that capacity. Vancouver's number one fire hall is monitoring today's changes to see if they might negatively impact emergency operations. These are big trucks that need room, and we're as a motorist expected to pull over if the sirens are sounding and the lights are flashing in the rearview mirror. And while this is a one-year test trial, local residents are thrilled, calling it a good first step. I think it's positive. It's it's, uh, good to have the city... Um, listening to us. I think traffic calming on the whole is always a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Then there's that train crossing and the plan by the railway to twin the tracks to accommodate more container traffic from the port. Unless some sort of road underpass is built here, you can expect much longer delays, rendering Prior Street a non-priority in one's daily commute. Tension at Global News. 
Thousands of retailers and retail development professionals from across North America are gathering in Whistler right now, sharing some industry insights, including new trends and developments. That is where we find our Sophie Louie this evening. And Sophie, I know you've had a chance to get the lay of the land. This year's focus of the conference, and it sounds like a good one, seems to be on food. <laughs> One of my favorite things for sure, Chris, food has certainly been a hot topic of discussion here in uh, the panel talks. Everything from how restaurants and grocery stores adapt to this new world of online ordering to mixing retail and restaurants in order to bring customers inside the stores. If food is the way to someone's heart, then it might also be the way to a consumer's wallet. Food generally across um, the globe is exploding. At the International Council of Shopping Centers conference in Whistler, food is a key focus of discussion, a way to attract customers to actual malls in this age of online shopping. We're trying to find ways of bringing more customers into our properties, whereby they're going to stay in our properties longer, they're going to spend more money, the average basket size goes up. The rise of the online consumer hasn't just had an impact on bricks and mortar stores, restaurants have seen consequences as well. Delivery apps like Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes, while adding new business, have also presented challenges that BC-based Brown Social House is trying to work around. We're making changes to put in um, larger pickup areas, um, expanded packaging counters. We have to, you know, box and store all these um, orders. And consumers aren't just looking for convenience, they also want sustainable business practices, a strategy A&W has embraced. The Canadian company serves its food on reusable dishes for in-store dining, and for takeout, uses almost 100% compostable packaging, including paper straws, the first fast food chain to do so. What we hope by being leaders in that area is that it opens up supply um, ability and others can you know, join. In, and it's, it, this is a movement that all of us should be proud to be part of. The retail landscape is having to cater to new consumer tastes faster than ever before and satisfying their appetite for new products and new ways of experiencing and delivering them is the secret recipe the industry is looking for. <laughs> They're all hoping for that secret recipe. 2,500 attendees here at the ICSC conference. Leslie uh, Fox is with the ICSC. So food is a big theme here. Uh, I understand why that would draw people into stores, Leslie, but what other sort of experiences are retailers looking at to keep people in the stores? Absolutely. Really one of the big themes here is not just about food and beverage, but really the diversification of consumer spending and how that impacts your tenant mix. So some of the other areas that you're going to start to see a lot more of in your shopping centers are going to be around personal services, things like wellness, beauty, um, fitness is another big area that we're really starting to see impact the tenant mix. Um, and so that's really some of the different trends that you're seeing along with food and beverage in the shopping center space. So having like a Soul Cycle or a Berry's Boot Camp in Absolutely. the mall to keep people there? Absolutely. And this is really reflective of how consumers are wanting to spend their money. So if you look at trends across different generational groups, what you're seeing across all generations, but especially among millennials, is that they're spending less money on traditional retail and a little bit more on services, things like food and beverage, things like fitness. And so you're going to start to see that reflected in shopping centers around your neighborhood. So while we're talking about millennials, um, um, you know, there'd been a lot of discussion about the, the death, and I use air quotes, of the brick-and-mortar store, but 
we're seeing a, a sort of a rever reversal of that trend when it comes to millennials. Absolutely. It's really more about an evolution of what's happening in the shopping center space. And interestingly, we've done some research talking to millennials about their online shopping habits and understanding the relationship with physical stores. And here in Canada, 67% of millennials said that actually a physical store in their neighborhood influences their interest in making an online purchase. And that's even more than Gen X or baby boomers. And when you think about millennials starting to step into their prime spending years, that bodes really well for the shopping center industry. So we're pretty excited about the evolution taking place right now. Okay, so malls are going to stick around for a while. Leslie, thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, Chris, obviously we are all consumers, whether it is in a shopping mall at a store uh, or online. So what happens here at this conference with 25 attendees from all over Canada and North America will likely influence your shopping experience in the months and years to come. Back to you. Certainly sounds like it. And they'll be well fed as well. I hope you are too. Thanks very much, Sophie. All right, Sophie Louie and Whistler for us. Our story on a BC woman calling for lemon laws after her brand new vehicle ended up in the shop for months sparked some action. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew is here with an update. And Yes, I heard from a very happy Sarah Timmons. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for that, Chris. The Trail resident says one day after we shared her story, she received a call from Ford Canada with an offer that's allowed her to get on with her life and hopefully put this entire ordeal behind her. Sarah Timmons can't wait to get out the door. For months, she's been waiting for this day. I actually almost cried with relief, i got to be honest. Back in 2018, the Trail resident bought a brand new Ford Escape titanium SUV, but a year later, with only 14,000 kilometres on the vehicle, it broke down and ended up sitting at this Ford dealership. That was on September 24th of last year, and 17 weeks later, it's still under repair. In the meantime, the dealership gave Sarah a loaner vehicle and eventually a rental. But other than that, Sarah says she's had little cooperation from the dealership and for Canada. She was also making payments on a vehicle she hadn't driven in months. Just for me to have to phone and chase people down, uh, you know, on both sides to try to figure out what was happening and to keep pushing, I just wasn't hearing from anybody. That's when Sarah turned to Consumer Matters for help. After we shared her story, Sarah says she got a phone call from Ford Canada the next day, telling her they would replace your vehicle with a brand new one, the same year and model, worth slightly more, and her financing would stay the same. Ford Canada also compensating her for two payments moving forward. Without you guys, it's, I still would be sitting here without a vehicle, so thank you so much. I totally appreciate everything that you guys have done and, and I, it shouldn't have to come to this. This is why we do need a lemon law. This is not normal. This is not how it should be handled. But AM Ford, who sold Sarah her vehicle, says while they still don't know what's wrong with her vehicle, her case is rare. The dealership also says it's been in touch with Ford Canada ever since Sarah's car landed in the repair shop. Ourselves and Ford Motor Company uh, still don't know. Uh, they're sending out a specialist. Um, We've sold a thousand escapes. Nothing like this has ever happened before. But when asked by Consumer Matters why the dealership didn't replace Sarah's vehicle sooner, considering the replacement vehicle was already on their car lot, the owner said... It's not our call. It's, uh, for, we we uh, sell and market the vehicles and repair them at the behest of Ford Motor Company that authorizes us to do it. It's hard not to speed. I'm so excited. <laughs> Either way, Sarah says she's happy to be moving on in her new vehicle, which she's named Hope. Really what it means is I hope that she works. <laughs>
Sarah also says she will continue to push for lemon laws in this country. Meantime, the dealership tells us it's still waiting for a Ford specialist to arrive in trail. They said that could happen in the next week. We also reached out to Ford Canada for comment on this story, but no one got back to us. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good work, Ann. Thank you very much. Two Echo X-ray, you're uh, still too low level uh, for uh, flight following at this time. That chilling final call from controllers to Kobe Bryant's pilot before Sunday's fatal chopper crash. Investigators now on the ground in Calabasas, California, removing bodies from the wreckage and searching for clues as to why a veteran pilot would fly into dense fog when even police choppers were grounded that day. The helicopter had received special clearance to fly. Its pilot requesting special visual flight rules for low ceilings before the chopper descended and dropped off radar. Nine people, including the NBA legend and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, were killed when the least Sikorsky plummeted to the ground. World leaders joined Holocaust survivors for a candlelight vigil in Auschwitz today to mark the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Nazi German death camp. Leaders and survivors walked along the rail tracks that led to the camp before placing candles at the monument to the victims of fascism. More than a dozen heads of state, including the German and Israeli presidents, took part in ceremonies at the Gate of Death. About 200 aging survivors also attended wearing kerchiefs with a P for prisoner. More than one million people, most of them Jews, were murdered in Auschwitz's gas chambers and firing squads. Two Canadian Holocaust survivors are remembering that dark day when they met and then lost each other. Years later, the pair found each other again in Toronto, where they forged a bond to last forever. Auschwitz was no one has the end of the ticket, the end of the line. I have a number to a 14 or 15. Howard and Nancy were both born in Poland and moved through a succession of labor and concentration camps before ending up in Auschwitz, where more than a million people were murdered. Somehow, they survived. I think it was a miracle. Eventually, each one ended up in Bergen-Belsen. This was nothing but a dead camp. There was no food. People were dying every second. There were no gas chambers here, like they'd seen in Auschwitz, but prisoners were dying from disease and starvation. It's where Howard and Nancy stayed until liberation. When the camp was liberated, what was the feeling? It was a bittersweet liberation when you looked around inside, you haven't got anybody. She found someone sick and lying among a sea of corpses. Lying on the ground, I heard voices. I think we should take this boy and nurture him back to health. Nancy nursed Howard back to life, and then he disappeared. If he wasn't around, we didn't know what happened to him. Years later, both ended up in Toronto. He heard that the girl that saved his life arrived to Toronto. She's my hero. This is the girl that saved my life. In 1950, Howard and Nancy got married. Many people don't possess the fraction of goodness and willingness to help that Nancy's got. Thank you. Making the Kleinberg story one of survival and love. Karen Lieberman, Global News.
And in health matters tonight, Canada confirming its first case of the new coronavirus. The patient's wife also in quarantine as a second presumed case. Health officials say the threat to Canadians overall is low, but there's a lot we don't know about how the virus spreads. Canada's first presumptive case of coronavirus linked to an outbreak in China has been officially confirmed, and health officials are looking into another. Ontario has confirmed its second presumptive case of Wuhan novel coronavirus. The new case was not surprising. The woman in her 50s is married to Canada's first case, and both had recently returned from Wuhan, China. But unlike her husband, this patient has not required hospital care. She is on home isolation, and she is well. Ontario health officials are awaiting test results for 19 other patients. All of them have symptoms of respiratory illness and a recent travel history to China. To date, there have been more than 2,800 cases reported globally in at least 16 countries and territories. More than 80 people, all in China, have died. Most cases outside of China had a travel history from Wuhan City, the epicenter of the outbreak. For now, it's comforting, but obviously we can't take our foot off the gas pedal and we still have to have uh, impeccable surveillance and public health measures in place to ensure that other people don't get infected. But this is challenging work, considering how little is known about how the virus is spread. Over the weekend, Chinese health officials said they believed transmission was possible before patients began showing symptoms. But in Canada right now, health officials are only treating symptomatic patients as a threat. We've been trying to get advice and direction from the WHO, so far from Public Health Agency of Canada. <clears throat> Their position is that if someone does not have symptoms, they usually are not shedding. The advice to most Canadians, go about business as usual. Your risk of infection is low. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. One of the pillars of a Vancouver Island business goes missing. The video surveillance that captured what happened. Coming up right after the forecast. Right now, though, let's check in with Christy. Nice to see the sunshine back again, uh. or at least a part of the day. Yes, at least for a little bit in the morning in particular. Lots of photos came in. Thank you to Maurice for this one from Mission. Another one from Campbell River. Look at that stunning day with the waves crashing on the on the seaside. Gene uh, Fontaine and this one from Dutney uh, area. This is uh, Simpson clouds in my opinion. <laughs> and then another one with not a single cloud in the sky from the Kamloops area. And then photos showing that there's signs of spring. It has been mild, uh, that's for sure. And it was so nice to see that blue sky. But winter is not over yet and neither there is the rain, everyone. Look at the waves that are going to move on shore for the next week, right through until the end of January. We're expecting rain, at least some of it, every day. And we've only had one completely dry day. So as for your February, if you're wondering, there is a bright spot. It looks like we could see some sunshine on February 2nd. Uh, that's still days away. Of course, that's Groundhog's Day, but that would mean that the groundhog would see a shadow and then we'd have six more weeks of winter. Not a lot of good news for you, I'm sorry. All right, so we're going to see the rain continue overnight. It will ease off during the day tomorrow. There still is waves of rainfall expected tomorrow, but just on and off. More like showers, especially for those of you in the Fraser Valley. And I am hoping for a bit of blue sky near sunset, a little bit. But then the next wave moves on shore tomorrow night. So it really is one thing after another. Now, those of you in the north have been enjoying sunshine and mild conditions. The bulk of the action is really in the south. We are expecting significant snow in Nelson and Castlegar overnight, about 10 centimeters before it changes to rain during your day. Again, just a chance of showers tomorrow, mostly dry. We're hoping for another, or we're, we will see another wave of rain tomorrow night into our Wednesday morning. So Wednesday morning commute could be a little bit tough. And I'll leave you with this photo from the Colony Farm area in Coquitlam. Mike Farmworth tweeted it out, and I just had to share it with you because it's so darn cute.
Very cute. Wow. Are, now, are those otters? Do we know? Uh, yes. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Uh, thank you very much for that, Christy. A candy store south of Nanaimo is sharing surveillance of an overnight heist you don't see every day. A family of carved bears normally greets customers at Baby Bear's ice cream shop. Mama and Papa are still there, but only the namesake mascot's paws remain outside the Shimena store. Early this morning, a man was caught on camera kicking the carved baby bear from behind. When it topples, he's seen stomping on it and wrestling it loose. The man eventually walks off with the beloved carving. Hansel and Gretel's Candy is offering a candy reward for the suspect ID. So give them a ring or police if you know who that guy is. Why? Is there a lot of money on the black market for carved question. bears? <laughs> I, your picture, Mike Farmworth, would that be the Mike Farmworth? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting. Going back, going, for those listening, yes. going back to the weather window photo. All right, Squires here now with sports. Take it away. All right, so last year the Vancouver Canucks came out of the All-Star break, a game above 500. They won their first game against Colorado. They were in a playoff spot, and then they basically fell apart for a number of reasons. This year they come out of the break even better. First place in the Pacific Division, nine games above 500, 33 games to go. And they start the stretch run with the champions in town. And Thatcher Demko will be the Canucks goalie facing St. Louis, which is also a first place team. But the Canucks do have a one and one record against them so far this season. The last time St. Louis was here, the game ended with one of the most bizarre overtime goals we've ever seen. A three on Markstrom after the rest of the Canucks did some sort of slapstick comedy routine and ran into each other. But in the last month and a bit, there have been no Canucks sticks broken in anger at Rogers Arena because Vancouver has won eight straight at home. I think our starts have been really good. You know, I wish we could, you know, we talk about bringing the same game no matter if we're home or away. And, uh, I don't know, the fans have been awesome. You know, the game's been good here. We're finding ways to win. You know, all those things are really important when it comes down to, you know, put yourself in a good position for the playoffs. So. Last year, injuries decimated the Canucks in the stretch run, and so did fatigue. Elias Pettersson wore down, as he had never played that long a season before. And now the question is, could that also happen to Quinn Hughes, who has also never played a long season in his career? He knows how many games he's played in the past, and he knows that he's got to take care of himself get his rest and, and be mentally prepared, not just physically. But I think he's well on his way to being able to handle that. And can the Canucks as a team handle the stretch run where the games get tougher and tougher? They are a year older and they are a year wiser. I think this year's team is a lot different than last year's. Uh, we've shown that so far and we've got a young group that have learned a lot of lessons this year. The guys that were here last year also learned some, some good ones and some tough ones. BC Hockey Hall of Fame is putting in six new members this year. Former Canuck defenseman Matthias Olin, Vernon's Eric Brewer, who played over 1,000 NHL games, uh, NHL linesman and referee Jay Scherers, Junior B hockey builder Ray Stonehouse, and the 2002 Kootenai Ice and 2012 Penticton Vs go in as national champions. The Vancouver Whitecaps brought in another player today, winger David Malinkovic, who most recently was with Hull City in England, where he rarely played and was accused of having a bad attitude. He is 25 years old. The Whitecaps will be his 11th professional team. He's on a one-year loan, so Milinkovic basically has to prove himself quickly and show he left those problems back in the UK. Because he has proven before 
He got to Hull City that he had skill. He was good in the Scottish League with Hearts. Milinkovic is of French and Serbian descent, and maybe he just needs a fresh start. The Whitecaps are hoping he can gel with another newcomer, Lucas Cavallini, and spice up their attack. And they say Milinkovic is more than happy to be in Vancouver. Well, so many people around the NBA have spoken about the death of Kobe Bryant, both yesterday and today. But the L.A. Lakers have been silent, and they have canceled the game they were supposed to play against the Clippers tomorrow night. The game will be rescheduled later in the season. And while Kobe is most associated with Los Angeles and the Lakers, he was from Philadelphia, and his hometown is honoring him tonight. All across the city, landmarks and buildings that have the capacity to put the color purple up are doing it. The legend of Kobe Bryant as a basketball player started during his high school years in Philadelphia. His father was an NBA player, so was his uncle. He himself went right from high school in Philadelphia to the NBA without playing college basketball, even Holmes with purple lights. At midnight hour time, Milos Ronic will be up against Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. It's a quarterfinal match. Ronic has never beaten Djokovic. They have played each other nine times before, so maybe ten times is a charm. Ronic is healthy for the first time in a long time. His serve is working at full capacity, but he is an underdog to be sure. And I have been told also, he mentioned purple, mm -hmm. DC Place. Also lit up tonight, right there, in purple, Tribute in honor Kobe of Bryant. Kobe Bryant. There you go. That's fantastic. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We'll check in with Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay? Thank you, Chris. We are tracking Surrey City Council meeting uh, amid the mayor's crackdown on Uber drivers in his city, even though the province says municipalities have no authority to block ride-hailing companies from operating. Plus, a North Vancouver man spent today cycling a busy stretch of road. That's part of a bike lane safety protest. And the wolf spotted strolling the streets of Victoria's James Bay neighborhood this past week and has been safely released back into the wild. We'll have those stories when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jay. And when we come back, a boy with a very special talent, building models of the fairies he loves. You've got to see it when we come back. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up eight centimeters of fresh snow. So did Grouse, Cypress five, Sasquatch nine. Manny Park has 10 centimeters of fresh snow. Revelstoke seven, Fernie four. Kicking Horse nothing new, but things certainly have warmed up there. Minus one at the top. Big White eight centimeters. Silver Star four, Sun Peaks four, and Apex three. Mount Washington a nice 13 centimeters of fresh snow. Whitewater five, Red Mountain seven, and Powder King eight. I end the show tonight with the story of a young man named Josh who has a passion for BC ferries and an amazing ability to look at the vessels and memorize them to scale. And now, as Catherine Urquhart reports, the BC youth with autism is using his special talent to recreate the fleet from household items. Tiny lines are meticulously painted on the lower deck, and finishing strokes complete the boat's marine navigation. 16-year-old Josh Young pays attention to every little detail on his latest masterpiece. I've got little Legos on both sides just for a little lights. Largely using his photographic memory, along with materials from around his home, the Port Coquitlam teen creates a model of a BC ferry, part of an entire fleet he has built. I memorized some of it, like the top and then the sides and all that kind of thing, like the artwork. But then it took a lot of pictures for the detail, like the stairway. Each day after school, I probably put about two hours in every day, just finalizing and then going over. Josh has been a BC Ferries superfan since he was a little boy. 
when we would go to visit my dad, he would just like spend so much time looking at all the little details and he would ask questions and we would go and try and find people that could help us because we don't really know all that much about fairies. It was completely different from what I thought. So I took pictures again and did it again. His unusual abilities and focused interest in BC fairies made more sense after he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, something that has presented challenges over the years. I would say definitely like the academic side of it, so math and the sciences, I definitely fall behind a little bit, but I'm slowly getting them back up now that I've come here. What'd you do this weekend? Besides make fairies. <laughs> Josh's art educator has encouraged the teen to build on his talents. They're kind of taught like they have a, um, a disability when in fact Josh is proof that they're just uh, exploding with ability. Could there be a future in construction or maybe engineering? Perhaps not surprisingly, Josh knows exactly where he wants to work. I want to work for BC Ferries, that's definitely one thing. Maybe deckhand position or up on the bridge, first officer, does that kind of thing as well. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Beautiful creations, Josh. Okay, before we go, we want to say a very quick congratulations to beloved global producer Lara Housem and her husband Steve. Their family just got a little bigger. Welcome to the world, Luke Clifford Jansen. He was born January 21st, almost two months early, Aww. weighing in at four pounds. But thankfully, everyone is happy and healthy, and he is getting stronger every day. So, Lara, we miss you. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. But enjoy this bonding time and, uh, you know, get back. Quickly, you know, Take your time, Larry. I always thought it'd be cool if babies have, be patient, I'm new here. Yeah, that's a, that'd be a good t-shirt. Uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure, rainfall overnight, tomorrow it eases, but we still do have showers in the forecast for our day, and then rain again tomorrow night. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Thank you for watching, everyone, and have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.